So today we're going to talk about growing in discipleship, introducing others to Jesus. Now, while we do that, I'm going to get into this slide here. You see that it's like mostly red on the one side, right? And when you see those today, take a deep breath because that means we're going into story time. Anybody who hasn't ever spent a lot of time with me, you're going to get used to it again today. I'm a little hyperactive sometimes. So the little red spots are story time and just prepare yourself. So this first story time is about the other Craig. He's over there. (laughs) He, I don't know, a couple months ago we were in Sunday school and the series was titled Growing in Discipleship. The lesson that week was introducing others to Jesus. And as we were going through that, Craig said, the other Craig said, Craig, um, next time you get a chance to share a message with the congregation, this should be it. So that's what we're doing. So if you don't like it today, blame him. If you love it, of course, come talk to me. (laughs) I say the other Craig. He has a different name for it. He actually calls himself the bad Craig, which is funny. It makes me laugh. And before I go talking about bad Craig a lot, I should probably mention he's probably amongst the best encouragers that I've ever met. Um, I say that sincerely. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. He's, he definitely has a gift for that. Um, and now I'm going to go back to calling him Bad Craig. So Bad Craig, <laughs> um, he <laughs> calls himself that. And again, I think it's funny. I, I stole it a little bit. And the problem with that is, of course, that makes me good Craig. Yeah, which is, sounds nice, except that it puts a lot of pressure on me then to be good Craig, right? And as an example, and it's not just here at church, right? So a couple of weeks ago, I am at McDonald's drive through They got the two lines, which I hate the two-lane thing, but whatever. So there's two people in the left lane. There's two people in the right lane. Nobody else around. So I pull up kind of in between the two lanes, right? I leave myself some room. So whichever lane goes first, I can go into that one. Makes sense to me, right? So I'm waiting there for a while. Truck comes up behind me, pickup truck. And I'm thinking, I'm looking, there's nobody else, I mean, anywhere that you can see. So I'm thinking, that's fine, he'll come behind me, I'll take a spot, and then he'll go do the same thing I'm doing. But no, truck guy comes up and drives in front of me and puts his nose up in front of me to make sure he's in the right line in front of me, and now I'm going to go off in the left line, right? And so I'm getting all frustrated about it made worse by the fact that the right line moves first, so now he is actually in front of me. And so I'm kind of fuming now. My line moves, I move up in front, uh, next to him. And of course, me, I'm staring him down. You know, I'm giving, I know what you did, kind of look. And uh, he's very interested in his windshield all of a sudden. He doesn't care about the guy next to him. He's just, he's like this. He knows I'm over here looking at him. He's like, nope, he's looking at his windshield. And... So I'm over there just angry, and it's silly, I get it, but that's just what it is. But then my line moves forward again. So now I'm ordering my food, he's still behind somebody in his line. So I'm, you know, yeah, I want a hamburger and some french fries and lemonade, and you're like, okay, that's great, it's going to be however much, pull up to the window. Cool. So he moves up, I move up, he's behind me, and now life is good again, right? I'm like, yeah, I want to get out of the, do a little dance, you know, and I don't. But, so then it hits me, I'm supposed to be good Craig. I can't be mad at truck guy just because he was cutting in front of me in line at McDonald's. So, okay, what can I do now at this point to be good, Craig? I was like, you know what? I'm going to pay for this guy's meal. And he'll give me the little wave. I'll give him the little head nod, and everything will be straight, right? 
So I get up, I say, you know what, let me pay for this guy that's behind me. And they're like, oh, that's so nice, okay. And I realize, I don't know what he ordered. So I probably just gave myself 100, you know, he's ordering for 20 people, I don't know. So I get both receipts, and thankfully he's got a Big Mac meal, it's no big deal. I say, okay, great, dodged a bullet, right? That'd have been fun to explain. Like, why did you spend $100 at McDonald's? Why, he's trying to be nice, good Craig, I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> pull up again. He gets up to the, the spot to pay, the window to pay. I'm kind of looking in the mirror so that I know when to give the little head nod wave thing. Like, you know, yeah, people are actually good in life and that's great. And he's looking at me in the mirror and he looks and you can see they're like, yeah, he paid for your meal. And he's looking at me and he doesn't give the little wave. Like he's supposed to give the little wave, right? No, and I'm not doing it for the little wave, but you're still supposed to give that. It's just rude not to. And so now I'm all fuming again because I don't do a real good job of being good Craig all the time. So I pull up and now I'm just like, this guy, he cuts in front of me, which actually helped me out. I ended up in front of him anyway, but now he didn't give me the little wave. So I get my food. Here's my hamburger, my lemonade, my french fries. And I'm like, you know what? I give both receipts and I say, yeah, I still need my other meal. So kid's like, okay, gives me the Big Mac. Now I pull forward again. And I stop and wait, and I'm looking in my mirror, and you can see they're like, no, he, he has your food. You know, I don't know exactly what the conversation was, but they're pointing up there, and he's looking at the window, he's looking at me, he's looking at the window, he's looking at me, he's looking at the window, he's looking at me. Next time he looks up at me, I'm leaning out of the car, taking the biggest bite of this Big Mac you ever saw in your life. Like, ah, it's the best Big Mac you ever have. And so as I'm driving away, I see him in my rearview mirror. He's driving back around to go order again because somebody just took off with his food. So, <laughs> I didn't really do all that, but we are going to get back to that story about trying to be good Craig. Um, you, you'll see, it ties in. Um, so anyway, growing in discipleship, introducing others to Jesus. Um, just saying a song about, let me tell you about my Jesus. Do we actually do that in real life? Is that really part of who we are? Um, once upon a time, there were, I know it's not story time, there were investigative reporters some people probably remember this process. They would hear about a story, they would go investigate it, and then they would report the facts that they investigated. This is not exactly the way media works today in most circumstances, but once upon a time, that was a thing. What they were looking for was the five W's and an H, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and how. That's kind of the basic of the story. When we did this in Sunday school, that's how we set this week up. Um, I'm going to mix it up a little bit today just because it's a very different format here, obviously. So today we're doing three W's, a double W, and a couple of H's. If you look at the back of your bulletin, it looks kind of like this. Um, for anybody who likes to follow along and take notes, um, if you can write small enough, you can fill all these in. Um, there are a lot of Bible verses and passages on there. We're going to read through and talk about a lot of them today. Some of them we are definitely not going to. The ones that are underlined aren't even on the slides. So we're totally not going to do those. If you're wanting after, sometime after the service, sometime this week or next week or whatever, you're like, you know what, something here was interesting or something sounded crazy or whatever, you want to go back, this might be just somewhere to start on getting back into the topic of introducing others to Jesus. So that's, what, that's what's going on there on the back. Um, so the first W is, why did Jesus come to earth? Now, best case scenario would be to able to ask him, right? Hey, Jesus, why did you come to earth? 
We can't exactly do that, but we can get very, very close. Um, what we can do is look at some of the things that he said about why he came to earth. Um, so we're going to look at some verses, and this is, these are Jesus speaking. You'll notice that John 3.16 there is a slightly different color red, and it's italicized. It's like, the, like this. Um, that one, depending on what Bible you have, scholars, some of them think that uh, John was still quoting Jesus here at this point. Some of them don't. So if you have a red-letter Bible, right, where the words of Jesus are in red, some of them will be red, some of them won't, depending on what Bible you have. doesn't matter to me whether it was actually John quoting Jesus or if it was the Holy Spirit inspiring John to write it this way. I'm okay either way. But that's why that one's that way. I just didn't want somebody coming up to me after service saying, hey, you know, that's not red in my Bible. How come? Um, so Mark 10, 45. And again, this is Jesus speaking about why did he come to earth. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So why did Jesus come to earth? He came to serve, and he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Simple enough. Mark 10.45 is the one I just read. Button in my wheel. Uh, John 10.10 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, again, why did Jesus come to earth? So that we can have life and have it to the full. And so he can lay down his life for us. I know we're going through these fast. There's a lot. Uh, Luke 5, 31, 32. Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, why did Jesus come to earth? To call sinners to repentance. That's us. I know we're in church. People outside of church sometimes think that we don't realize that, but we do. Uh, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love the simplicity of this verse. Um, this is why Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came to earth. Um, again, this could be, you know, six-month lesson on its own. It's not. It's background for our main lesson today. So I don't want to overlook any of that stuff, but that's why we're not spending a ton of time on it. So if that's why Jesus came to earth, or at least that's a big part of why Jesus came to earth, then what am I supposed to do about it? That's the next W. What am I supposed to do about that? So we're going to look at, again, a lot of scripture right here and talk about it pretty quickly. Um, and again, some of these are not up here, the ones that are on the back of the bulletin. So if this is something that interests you, look back later, find some, and be like, oh yeah, I see now. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Um, so what are we supposed to do about why Jesus came to earth? Oh, well, we're supposed to believe and confess. Okay, easy enough. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, this is Peter preaching, people coming back to Peter asking this exact same question, like, what do we do about it? So Peter says, well, this is why Jesus came to earth. People say, well, what do we do about it? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to repent and be baptized. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sorry, I have that memorized as a different word than handiwork. I've got craftsmanship in my head. Apologize for the small pause there. Um, but again, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to understand and accept that grace. And this one starts to get a little bit different. We're supposed to do the good works that God prepares for us to do. It's starting to get a little bit more active here in our answers. Mark 12, 30, 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So this is, what are the two greatest commandments, or what's the greatest commandment? He gives these two. So again, what are we supposed to do? Love God, love others. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So putting these two together, we're supposed to love God, love others, make disciples. We have most of that up here now. There were some technical issues there. Um, but again, this is, this is kind of the, the crux, the basis of what White Rose Fellowship Church is, right? Um, of what the Christian faith itself is. First uh, Peter 3.15, Put it, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now this, obviously, what, what are we supposed to do about it? We're supposed to be prepared to give an answer, right? So obviously we need to prepare to have an answer. Also in this verse, it doesn't explicitly say it, but it's easily understood. We're supposed to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that we have. For that to happen, we have to live our lives in such a way that somebody might actually ask us, hey, where does this hope come from? Right? We need to live our lives in such a way that it is different, called out, separate, from what other people are doing. Um, the question should come about because of our attitude, because of our actions. Hey, how can you be so joyful when the world is falling apart? Or how can you be so happy when work is going so badly? Or how can you have such a good attitude when somebody just treated you so wrongly? Or all these types of things. Our attitude, our lives should be lived in such a way that somebody might ask those questions. First um, John three sixteen through 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Um, again, there's a lot in there. Um, but this is working more towards the action part of what do we do about it. We know we talked about why Jesus came to earth. This is kind of the second part of what we do about it. The first part we do is understand it and accept it. And we start to deal with our sin and or let him deal with it. 
and then we start having actions that are more towards the loving others part. Um, and so that's what we should do about it. Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, you'll notice it's not actually up here, but we went through this passage a lot as a Sunday school class. I didn't want people coming to me later saying, oh, you left out the best passage that we talked about six times during that series. So it's there, it's on the sheet. Uh, feel free to read through it sometime. Um, I encourage you to do so. Oh, story time. Okay, story time again. Clean your room. Now, I've only got one of my children here, and it's actually uh, the one who is by far the best at keeping her room clean. So I won't use her as an example. But parents, let's just say that you have kids. It's easy for me to pretend that because I do, right? Um, when going into kindergarten, to grade school, or a high school, or one in college. I've, I've got tons of kids, it seems like. Um, so if I was to tell one of my children, hey, I'm going to work. I need for you to clean your room and have it all done by the time I get home from work. Understand? Yes. Great. I go to work. I come back home. And my child says, oh, Dad, you are going to be so proud of me. I found an article about how to clean your room, and it gave the best advice. I invited some of my friends over so I could share it with them. We actually found a book. Jimmy had a book. He brought it. We read through this book on how to clean your room. It had this great idea. Is it, you take all of the stuff and you throw it on top of your bed and then vacuum the floor, get everything straight, then take everything off of the bed one item at a time, put it where it goes, and then when your bed's empty, you make your bed and you're done. It's such, it's a, such a great process. It's a great way to clean your bed or clean your room. It's fantastic. We sang songs about cleaning your room. I know it sounds crazy, but we did. We got together. We had a guitar. We had a piano. We had a tuba. We had whatever. We sang some songs about how to clean your room. And then I go into the room, and it's a complete disaster. There's stuff everywhere. It hasn't been picked up a bit. It's probably worse than it was when I went to work. Now, as a father, do I say, wow, really great job talking about doing what I told you to do? Or do I say, huh, let's actually put this stuff to use and get your room clean like you were supposed to in the first place? And I say that because how much, how easy is it for us to do that same thing with our faith? It's very easy to talk about all the right things. It's very easy to read about all the right things and yet not actually do the things that we're supposed to do. James 1, 1.22 says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Um, I love this verse it, for, for a lot of reasons. One, I, I love succinct, simple, clear verses a lot of times. They really speak to me. But the other thing is, like we always think about, you know, the person who goes to church and reads their Bible and they have a study group and they do all these things, but then the rest of their lives, they are clearly walking down the wrong path. We always think about that person as like, oh, they're this hypocrite. They're just trying to go to church because they want to look good. They do this because they're pretending to do whatever and they want people to view them a certain way. It's not necessarily true. It can be. It's not necessarily true. And I love the way this verse says it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. I think it's entirely possible for us to 
do all of the church things. We go to church and we have a Bible and we talk about Jesus and we sing songs and we do all these things and yet the rest of our lives is a mess. Not necessarily because we're trying to fool anybody into thinking that we're some great, upright, you know, upstanding person. It might be just that we are deceiving ourselves with that. And I think that that's something that we need to look into ourselves to make sure that we're not doing. Um, so that, that's, that's what I like, the, the deceive yourselves part of that is the part that stands out. I think it's an often overlooked idea. Um, all right, so how do I tell others? So this, we're going to kind of go back to that clean your room thing, right? We had an example of that fake book on how to, actually, it's not a fake book, it's a real book. I must have read that when I was eight years old. My mom gave it to me. I still remember it, about how to clean your room, and that's how it said. Throw all the stuff on the bed, vacuum the floor, straighten everything up, put everything away, then make your bed, and you're done. Um, simple strategy, and I still remember it today. Um, don't ask how often I employ it, but I understand it. I know it. Um, so how do I tell others? You can do that same kind of thing with how to tell others. There are probably a near infinite number of ways that you can prepare to tell the message of who Jesus is, right? Um, the gospel acrostic, I know I've talked about that here before. Everybody's probably, many people have heard that before then anyway, but you know, uh, you just, it's just a way to organize thoughts, right? Um, you got the before and after thing. Like, I used to be this way, and now I'm this way. Um, I used to be stuck in this sin, and now that I've given my life to Christ, I'm freed from that sin. I used to do this and this and this. Now that I've given my life to Christ, I do this. Um, you got a, a two-minute testimony or a 60-second testimony or share your entire you know, lifelong testimony. Um, for me, it was... Just very quickly, um, I believe that the Holy Spirit was calling me to faith well before I understood what any of that meant. Um, I was a very young adult. Um, actually, was went out and bought a Bible, which is kind of weird for an 18-year-old guy, probably who with no solid faith background. Um, then I met Mandy and her family. Uh, she really helped lead me a lot toward God. Um, learned a lot from her and from them. Um, the kind of aha moment was I was in the Marine Corps Reserves at the time. We were in Guatemala. And we're in, you know, the Marines really take care of people super well. So it was the real first class accommodations. You know, it was a big giant tent pretty much. Um, got 20 of us, 30 of us maybe in there, all on cots. And there were two very outspoken, confident Christians in that group. And everybody was kind of peppering them with questions and challenges and taunts even. And so the question came to one, uh, Jay, came to him, I suppose you really believe that there was some kid named David who killed a giant, right? And instead of doing what I was used to in my life, when people who were defending the Christian faith, when they were challenged on something like that with the Bible, they always retreated back into well, there's a lot of poetry in the Bible, and we don't really know this, and yeah, people understand things different ways, and you know, maybe it was just a metaphor and all this kind of stuff. And he didn't do any of that. Uh, Jeremiah Gibbs said, and uh, I wish I could quote exactly what he said, and that was a long time ago. Uh, basically, though, he said, yes, yes, that happened. That was approximately this time period in this section of the world, uh, you know, the, the giant, of course, wasn't like Jack and the Beanstalk giant where he's a thousand feet tall or anything crazy, you know, it, depending on the translation. Uh, most 
most scholars believe he was between just a little under seven feet to like nine and a half feet range, depending on how you translate a couple different things. And he's just giving factual, yes, that happened, and here are the details about it. And that, that struck me hard. That was like, hey, wait a minute. All this stuff about the Bible that I've been reading, that I've always heard about, I can actually believe in that, and it's okay. And that, I, I prayed that night, um, what I call my first <laughs> real prayer. That's, that's when I gave my life to Christ, was that night after hearing that. Um, share your testimony, somebody. Um, you can ask a thoughtful question and start a conversation. Um, you know, when you're talking to somebody, hey, what do you think about God? What do you think about church? Um, what do you think happens after you die? Um, hey, I'm going to church Sunday. Do you want to come? Um, these kinds of questions can lead to a conversation that makes it very easy to introduce people to Jesus. Um, you got the circle diagram thing, um, the Romans Road, which there are a lot of variations of, but it's, it's a lot of different verses, passages from the book of Romans that kind of walk people toward that. Um, the elevator pitch idea, which is just, okay, you're on an elevator with somebody. You've got 30 seconds to tell them what the Bible says. Go. Practice saying it in 30 seconds. Um, these are just some methods of how do I tell others about Jesus. If you are feeling yourself convicted about, man, I need to start doing this, but I don't know how, Find somebody else in this room or in this church or somebody else in your life who you trust to help you with that. Um, again, it's all going to be kind of an outline. The more times you do it, the less you're going to use that outline strictly. It's all fine. Um, oh, story time again. All right. A bear walks into a restaurant. So bear walks into a restaurant. Waiter says, well, what can I get you, Bear. It's a very open restaurant. Bear says, well, I would like a hamburger and some French. Fries and a lemonade. And the waiter says, okay, I can get you that, no problem. But I got to ask, what's the deal with the huge pause there? Bear says, I don't know. I was just born that way. Pause, pause, right? <laughs> Dad jokes all day, everybody. Um, <laughs> thanks, Shane. So what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about? That's a great question. So John chapter 3, the whole chapter, we're not going to read that right now, helps us understand what it means to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, we're not reading that right now either. They are all on the back of the bulletin helps us understand a little bit about what it means to be made new. It explains a little bit that we are Christ's ambassadors, right? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation to share with others so that they can be reconciled to God. And so we, if we are going to introduce people to Jesus, if somebody was to ask us, man, how are you so comfortable just talking about Jesus to everybody you meet? We need to be able to say, I don't know, I was just born again that way. Right? See how it ties in there? Ah, part two of dad joke. Um, but that's, it, it needs to be a part of who we are, just part of our life. Um, the only way to get there is by doing it when it's uncomfortable. Um, so when and where should I tell people? Um, I'm going to warn you right now. So during Sunday school class, we ended up on a very theologically deep technical answer to this question. Um, it's, it's going to be really very super hard to understand at first. 
Um, and I just wanted to warn everybody ahead of time. So when and where should I tell people? And the answer we came up with is all the time, everywhere. That's it. I know it's super deep. It's really hard to understand, right? All the time, everywhere. That's when. It needs to be part of our life. It needs to be part of who we are. Um, I wanted to add one little side note. If you are worried about legal issues, I know a lot of people say, I'm afraid to talk about this at work. I'm afraid to do this when I'm on public property. I'm afraid to do whatever. If that is a legitimate fear, and not just like an excuse, because I know it's easy to use that as an excuse also, right? Well, I, I can't do this here. I'm in a public park. Somebody will say I'm mixing religion and public property, and I'm going to get in trouble, or I'm going to get fired from work because I brought my Bible, or I'm going to get kicked out of school because I brought my Bible, or whatever. If it's just an excuse, you need to knock it off. That's <laughs> just simply put, if it's just an excuse, knock it off. If it's a legitimate fear, because that's perfectly valid, I think, because there are, depending on the situation, there can be a lot of repercussions to sharing our faith. Um, and there are supposed to be. The Bible tells us there will be. Um, but if it's a legitimate concern, I would urge you to learn what is and isn't legal, what is and isn't allowed. If your school or your workplace or wherever is telling you, you can't bring your Bible, that's incorrect. You can bring your Bible to any of those places. Um, now, it is possible that you might end up with some legal challenges, even from something as simple as that. Um, and then obviously, as you get deeper into sharing your faith, talking about Jesus, um, the possibility of some repercussions starts going up, right? But if it's truly, man, I really wanna share my faith with this person, but I'm afraid it's going to get me in trouble, then go through the work of finding out what you can do and what might get you into trouble. If it's something that might get you into trouble, then you have to decide, is it worth it or is it not worth it? And that's a whole other conversation. But if it's just the fear of any kind of legal repercussions, I strongly urge you to learn what you can and can't do. Um, now, <laughs> This does not mean that we always engage everyone in their arguments all the time. So this whole introduce others to Jesus all the time everywhere doesn't mean that we have to jump into every argument and conversation that we find. 2 Timothy 2 says it, says it best to me again. I just love how blunt this is. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who, will take, who, have taken them, who has taken them captive to do his will. Um, be it on social media or in real life or whatever other situation, right? Saying that we need to talk about Jesus, we need to introduce others to Jesus all the time, everywhere, doesn't mean we have to get involved in foolish and stupid arguments because you know they're not going anywhere anyway. Um, I think we have a harder and harder time as a society avoiding those. And as Christians, I think we really need to be called out, be separated, be set apart from that um, in a way that seems counterintuitive almost because it's real easy to go, 
oh, but if he would just hear my argument on this, man, he would believe me. And then you just, you draw yourself into this cycle of nonsense. And so again, introducing others to Jesus all the time, everywhere, doesn't mean get involved in every foolish argument out there because there are too many. Oh, story time again. Old man, old man, not this old man, some other old man. Old man walks into a library. He says, excuse me. I would like a hamburger and some french fries and a lemonade. And the librarian says, excuse me, sir, this is a library. And the old man says, oh, I'm so sorry. I would like a hamburger and some french fries and a lemonade. Now, what's the point of this joke? Another dad joke. Shane's, Shane's back there. He's loving his life right now. Um, so dad jokes all day, Shane, all day. Um, what? What in the world? What's this guy up here talking about ordering food and lemonade? Sometimes a message is heard the most loudly when it is delivered out of place. Let me ask you this. Let's say that story actually happened. I'm a librarian. Some guy comes in, orders the food just like that, right? That happens. What am I talking about when I get home to my family? Am I talking about the hundred people who came in and said, hi, I would like this book, please? Or am I talking about the one old man who came in talking about, I would like a hamburger and some french fries and a lemonade. No, I'm talking about the old man, of course, right? A month later, I see that old man at Target. I'm like, hey, hey, that's that old man who came in ordering the hamburger and the french fries and the lemonade at the library, right? That sticks with people. Why? Because it wasn't expected. And I think the message of Jesus Christ can be the same way, right? If you come into church today, and you were to hear somebody talk about the message of Jesus Christ, hopefully it helps deepen our faith. Hopefully it helps draw us together as a family of believers. Great. You go somewhere that you're not expecting to hear it, and you hear that same message, like, I don't know, as an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old kid in the Marine Corps in Guatemala in a tent, and you hear that same message of Jesus Christ, man, can that make an impact. And so, while we are sharing everywhere all the time, it's real easy, again, to say, well, this isn't really the right situation to talk about God. Maybe that's exactly where somebody needs to hear it for it to finally hit them. Um, so how can I make people listen? Here's another one, super deep answer to this one. How can I make people listen? You cannot. <laughs> you can't make people listen. And frankly, that's not our job. It's not our job to make people listen and understand and accept and believe. It's not our job. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I got this one. This is me. It's our job to share the message. That's what we've been told to do. Holy Spirit, right? God's got the rest. Um, what we can do is a couple of steps towards trying to deliver that message well. First one is to not be a stumbling block. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 3 says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. We don't want to do something that's going to stop somebody from believing the message. Right? We want people to judge the message on its own merit, by itself, because the message is powerful. The message is far, far more powerful than we are. The message itself is what people are going to believe and be drawn to, not necessarily how we deliver that message. Now, story time again. Big Mac truck guy. 
Let's just say that whole McDonald's story was true, okay? And I had taken that big bite of that Big Mac. I can almost taste that thing right now, right? Now, let's also say Big Mac truck guy was like, you know what? I'm going to go to church today. I just, I feel like maybe this whole God thing's real. I don't know. And he was sitting right there. Let's just say truck guy's sitting right there at that empty table back there. And he comes in and he sees me. And I'm up here talking about Jesus, talking about God loves you, and we should love people, and we should be good, and I'm trying to be good, Craig. And You think truck guy's going to hear any of that? Truck guy's going to be like, this place is insane. Do they know that guy up there? That guy took my Big Mac. I had to go back around and order again. Truck guy's not going to listen to my message. And if he's not listening to my message, he's not hearing the message because of my actions. Me mistreating somebody is now a stumbling block towards that person hearing God's message. And that, uh, that's a heavy thought because, yeah, I joke about it with the Big Mac truck guy who doesn't really exist. How true is it in real life? Who is it in our life? You know what? The way that I've treated this person, or maybe it's the way this person has seen me treat these people. Right? And I, I had a whole set of slides that I was going to do here and some, some political-type jokes that I was going to try to thread the needle on, keeping it, you know, not, not left, not right, just trying to be, uh, hey, this will be real funny. And I thought, this also has the potential of doing exactly what I'm saying we shouldn't do. Um, but for the sake of argument, I'm not going to use left or right or whatever. I'll I just pretend like we look at our political system as up and down, right? So if I'm a very up-wing person, and I just hate the down-wing people, right, the people on the opposite end of the political spectrum from me, and I say things like, uh, oh no, this person is obviously evil. Everybody who voted for this person is a horrible, terrible person, and, and I can't get along with them. Well, then everybody who may have voted or supported or whatever has the same belief kind of about how to best serve people as that person I'm putting down, I'm a stumbling block to that half of the country. Boom. Half the country right now, I've put a stumbling block between them and God. And then probably another half of the people who are the same upwing people that I am, right? And they voted for the same person I did, and they believe in most of the same things, still are going, this guy's just as hate-filled as everybody else. So that's another quarter of the country. That's like 75% of the people you're going to meet. You are now, you have become a stumbling block between that person and God. And that's just politics. You do that same thing with anything. You know, kids' sports, right? It's easy. I've got, my kids are doing sports and activities. And if I'm out there being crazy hateful there, guess what? At least half the people there are going to be like, why would they listen to whatever message I might later share? Um, so, the other thing we can do, besides not being a stumbling block, is deliver the message in a way that people can hear it. People can maybe best hear it or most easily hear it. Um, right, we find examples in the Bible. Uh, all of John chapter 4, most of John chapter 4, uh, Jesus talked with the Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar. This is a great example of Jesus using the situation itself to... Give his message. Now, granted, Jesus giving his message is a whole lot better than any of us giving his message. But 
he took the situation that was there and he used that. And so, again, we're not reading chapter 4 today, um, but it's worth looking at. Um, Acts 17, 22 and 23, um, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now, I will say up front, the word ignorant today is probably not a word that I would use, um, meaning you are unaware of, you don't understand, right? You don't understand the very thing that you worship, and that's what I'm going to proclaim to you today. Um, Again, there's just one more example from the Bible of Paul this time, who again is better qualified to give this message than I am, for sure, that's fine. Um, But it's him taking the situation that's in front of him and using that situation to help shape the way that he delivers the message. Um, With that being said, oh, no, no, ah, story time first, and then we'll go back to that. Story time first, so love and respect. Um, There's a book called Love and Respect. Uh, Mandy and I... I went through this book uh, in a small group actually years ago, and still to this day, probably it's both of our favorite book on marriage and that. Um, So part of this book, one idea from the book that is still with us in our marriage today, we'll still bring this up, is the whole pink and blue idea, right? Women tend to see things through pink glasses. Men tend to see things through blue glasses, Um, Of course, there are always exceptions. I'm not trying to start some big sexist war up here or anything. But um, women say things with the pink megaphone. Men say things with the blue megaphone. Women hear things with pink hearing aids. Men hear things with blue hearing aids. And the idea is this. If a woman uses her pink megaphone and says, I have nothing to wear, the man with his blue hearing aids hears oh man, I forgot to do laundry, all my clothes are dirty. Because when a man says, I have nothing to wear, he means, I have nothing to wear. All of my clothes are dirty, I have nothing to wear. That's not what the woman is saying at all. What the woman is saying with her pink megaphone is, I'm going to a nice party, and I would like to have something nice to wear, and my only three nice outfits I've already worn 14 times, and these people have seen them all, I have nothing new to wear, right? There's a difference between the way that the man and the woman will say the same sentence. Same thing. You do this all the time. Okay? Say a woman says with her pink megaphone, you do this all the time, right? That you forget to bring home the milk or whatever it is. You, forget, you do this all the time. The man with his blue hearing aids, here, this is Mandy and I right here. The man with his blue hearing aids hears every time this comes up, this is what you do. Literally, mathematically, 100% all the time. And now the man, of course, is infuriated because that's not true at all. Like this has come up a thousand times in our marriage and I've gotten it wrong a hundred times. I'm like 90%, right? If I was playing baseball hitting 90%, I'd be the highest played athlete on the planet, right? This is, I'm, I'm doing great. And now you're mad at me for 90% and you're saying I do it all the time. That's not true. Most of the time I do it right. Now, the man's getting very mad because what he heard was all the time, 100%, all the time. That's not what the woman said. What the woman said with her pink megaphone was, you do this continuously. We've been married for 20 years, and you've done this 100 times. 
she's right. He's right too. He's just not hearing what she is saying, right? There are times where we can try to convey some kind of message where we might be saying this, they might be hearing this. Neither one is wrong, but we need to make sure that we are sharing God's message in a way that people can hear it. Um, now, with that said, we also, the, the red part right here, right? At all times, make sure that we are not changing the message to make it more palatable. Um, because that's a, that's a very easy trap to fall into. Um, I want to share this message in a way that this person is going to accept it. You know what? It's not our job to say it in a way that people are going to accept it, right? We talked about that earlier. It's not my job to make sure that somebody else accepts this message. It's my job to deliver it in a way that they can hear it. It's Holy Spirit's job to help them accept it. That's not my job. I can give somebody a message they'll accept, no problem. That's easy. That's a piece of cake. Man, nice shirt. Hey, like your hair. Oh, I love your car. You give messages all you want that people will accept because you're telling them what they want to hear. And we have to be very careful that while we're trying to give the message in a way that people can understand, we need to make sure we're not giving it in a way that they will accept because it's what they want to hear. We have to be true to the message. Um, again, the message is far more powerful than any of us delivering it. Um, additionally, don't make stuff up and don't guess like we have all the answers. Um, that's another one that's real easy to do. We have to trust the message, not trust ourselves. It's very easy for somebody to say, you know, I'm sharing Jesus. They ask a question and I say, well, this. And you make something up instead of saying, you know, I don't really know. That's a great question. If you say, I don't know, two things happen. One, they know that you're actually being honest with them. Two, it gives you the opportunity later to follow up on that conversation. So don't be afraid of not knowing all the answers. We're not supposed to have all the answers. Um, another story time. We're going quick here, though, because everybody's getting hungry. Um, anybody know Tim Hawkins? He's a Christian comedian. He tells this story. I'm going to steal it from him because it, it, it fits this purpose well. Um, so he's a Christian comedian, and he tells this story of being at a church after a show, and he's signing autographs. And uh, one older lady comes up and says, oh, I love your show. Thank you so much. You know, this is so fun. Uh, sign it. Make it out to, you know, Betty or whatever. And, you know, please write your favorite verse. You know, your favorite Bible verse. Write it, write it on there with your signature. And he's like, okay. But his mind goes blank, and he can't remember what his favorite verse is. His favorite verse is Psalm 34, 8. But, he can't think of that right now, so he's like, I, I don't know, I'll write 38.7. So he's writing, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Thanks for coming out. Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38.7. He's like, man, this is a great idea. I should have been doing this my whole career. So the whole line of people, he's like, you know, hey, to Bob, you know, thanks for coming out. Glad you enjoyed the show. I saw you in the front row laughing. That really encouraged me. Uh, Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38.7, right? So he's got a whole line of people there. So he's on his way home, and he's thinking, yeah, my favorite verse, I just, it's, oh, it's Psalm 34, 8. It's, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. That's, that's what it is. I, I, I wrote the wrong number down for everybody. Yet. Whoops. Well, let's just see. It's like, because there's going to be, I mean, that first lady, you got, you got an older lady, you know that she's going to be gathering up. 
get the grandkids around. Okay, everybody gather around now. We're going we're gonna to talk and see what kind of message Tim Hawkins has for us today. And she's going to open up her Bible, and everybody's going to be there, and she's going to say, hmm, Psalm 38, 7, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness. What? My loins are filled with a loathsome disease. This is horrible. This is not the message he wanted to convey. And now, again, Tim Hawkins is far better at delivering that story than I am. But the idea is, if we start making things up, not just Bible verses, but answers to actual questions that people might have while we are sharing with them who Jesus is, and we start making things up because we don't know and we're too embarrassed to admit that we don't know, and we give bad information, people are going to be later looking, listening, thinking about the stuff that we said, and they're going to be like, that is not what he meant. That's not true at all. And now the whole message you just shared, is dark shadows being cast on it. Um, so last one, who, me, no way. This one has a subtitle. It's, uh, I'm not good enough, and I'm not ready for that. So who is supposed to share this message? Well, all of us. And if you think that it's not you because you're not good enough, or you think that it's not you because you're not ready for that, or you think that it's not you because Shane's better at it, or your grandmother's better at it, or your neighbor's better at it, or whatever, the Bible doesn't allow for that. It just doesn't. Um, nobody is good enough to share this message properly, perfectly. Um, none of us are. And the Bible doesn't tell us we're supposed to be. The Bible doesn't say, okay, well, after you've been a believer for 18 years and six months, then you need to start sharing this message. The Bible does not say that. The Bible doesn't say, well, after you have been sin-free for 27 months, then you're supposed to start sharing. No. Like, we talked about a lot of things. You don't want to be a stumbling block. You want your life to reflect who Jesus is and all these things. And all that is true. But if those things aren't true in your life, that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to share the message of who God is. Um, I know it can be a little scary that way because now you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be good, Craig, and I'm over here being bad. I'm still supposed to share it. No, you are still supposed to because guess what? No matter who it is sharing this message is still a sinner, still imperfect. And that's who we are sharing this message. So wherever you're at on your faith walk here, there's not a point where you need to work towards sharing the message and introducing people to Jesus. Um, so we'll go through just a couple of these. So this is, this is Paul, right? People like Paul, they're maybe the closest among the people who are amongst the closest to being good enough or whatever, right? These are some of the things that those people say. Paul says this, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now this is a guy who is, I can, I can say unequivocally, better prepared to deliver this message than me. Okay? Super easy to say that about Paul. Um, amongst the best, best qualified in his day to share the message. What he says is, I didn't do it with 
eloquence, with human wisdom. I made sure that it was none of me giving this message. It was Jesus and him crucified, period. That's it. Um, and it goes on to say that he came in weakness, with fear and trembling, right? It, it kind of takes away some of our excuses, I think. Um, he also said, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Probably heard the whole, God doesn't always call the qualified, but he qualifies the called, right? Um, God's going to call us to things, and then he will make sure that we can do them. He um, doesn't always call the most prepared person, and he doesn't always prepare us before we're called. Um, again, God makes us competent. It's not something that, oh, I went to this school, so clearly I'm the best person to share this message. That's just not how it works. Um, Isaiah 55, 7 through 11. Um, not going to read all this right now. However, it is on the bulletin. Um, what I real, will read is the very end, um, talking about God's word. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When God speaks, it does accomplish its purpose. Um, kind of takes the pressure off of us maybe, right? Again, it's not my job to make sure this person believes and their life has changed and all that. My job is to deliver the message best I can, period. That's it. Um, what happens after that? Yeah, maybe you can mentor that person. Maybe, I mean, depending on the relationship and the situation, there's a lot of other stuff that maybe you can do. But in the end, you can do your best. The outcome isn't up to you. It isn't up to me. Um, so there's the uh, finalized copy of the back sheet there. Um, so now, I think I just pretty much got the time just about right. Check that out. Um, so let's pray. Um, again, I do want to encourage everybody, if there's anything about this message, um, Again, if you just want to read more on it from the Bible, there's some starter points on the back of the bulletin. If you want to have conversations about it, not just this message today, but this is a standing thing. Um, now I know we say it from time to time, but if there's a, a message that's shared um, by this church, by this body, um, if you don't understand it, you want to talk more about it, you don't agree with it, you whatever, talk to somebody about it. I mean, it, Shane, any of the elders are always available. There are a lot of other people in this room who are, depending on the situation, far more qualified to have that conversation than I am at times. Um, have that conversation. Don't, like, being part of this church body doesn't mean that you fully understand and agree with everything that's said by everybody in the church. That's silly, of course, right? Um, part of being a church family is having those conversations. So I try to encourage you to take the opportunities that you can to do that. Whether it's, you know, taking advantage of the small groups, Sunday school when we start that back up, those types of events or meetings that are regularly scheduled, or if it's just after service sometime and like, hey, let me chat at you for a minute. Or it's, you know, in the middle of the week, you know, finding the phone number off of Bolton and being like, hey, I had a question about this and I wanted to talk about it. Um, that's why we're here together, is to help each other grow and learn and encourage each other. Um, 
So with that said, let's pray. And uh, I'm hoping we have some hamburgers and some lemonade, maybe. I don't know. Not sure about French fries, but I was pretty, I was pretty stoked to hear that we had hamburgers after uh, half my sermon had to do with hamburgers and French fries and lemonade. So it was pretty good timing, purely by chance um, or by providence. I don't know, maybe. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father God, uh, Lord, again, we, we come to you humbly and we recognize our shortcomings um, as individuals, as a church, as a community, um, as a people. Uh, Lord, we don't uh, take those lightly or take those for granted. We don't want to overlook those. And also, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be defined by those. Uh, God, we thank you that you offer us a redemption from our past. You offer us forgiveness of our sin. God, you offer us life and life to the full. Uh, Father, I pray that as we uh, continue with our time together today in fellowship, that it would be blessed. I pray that uh, relationships would be built and strengthened that uh, reflect the type of relationships that you have told us to build with each other. Um, I pray that uh, the hurt are comforted, uh, the grieving are uh, come alongside um, so that nobody feels alone. Uh, Father, I pray that the uh, joyous and joyful are, are lifted up and uh, the exciting things made even more exciting. Uh, God, in all of this, I would pray in your name. Amen.